0: Okay, so welcome to this episode of the Dreamers Succeed podcast. We are sitting here with a dear friend, someone who I know you're going to love, and I'm going to read his introduction because I want to make sure that I am not missing anything. I promise you guys are in for a treat. So have you ever struggled to create messages that customers actually want to hear? Have you wondered why some messages connect with audiences and others don't? I know that's a big one for a lot of us. Are you talking about your clients or are you talking about yourself? Today's guest spent 15 years sailing in search of stories. He's the author of 11 books. Yes, I said 11, including an adventure sailing memoir, two books about writing, and three about storytelling. His company, Remarkable Stories, Inc., teaches the art of business transformation through storytelling. If you want to say it, share it, or sell it, bring him your story and he'll help you tell it. I love that so much. Today, he's going to be talking to us about how stories work and how we use strategic storytelling to grow our businesses. Please welcome award-winning speaker, author, and graphic designer, in addition to transatlantic sailor, and a pretty good jazz guitarist, my friend, Dave Bricker. Welcome, Dave.
1: Thank you. Great to be here. I'm
0: so happy you're here. (laughs) Guys, you're in for a treat. Like I said, Dave has, uh, not only is he a great storyteller, and the fact that he's been able to turn that into a business and really help people and companies tell their story well to increase their sales, increase revenues. It's just a beautiful A beautiful way that he's been able to capture how to teach people how to do that. So we're going to be learning some great nuggets today. And Dave, you ready? I am ready. I love it. Okay, so before we get into the nuts and bolts, uh, I understand you spent a number of years on a sailboat.
1: I did. Tell
0: me how that helped you bring some of these great stories to life.
1: Well, I don't know if you remember the Christos Surrounded Islands Project in 1983. It was uh, the artist Christos surrounded a group of islands in Biscayne Bay with a 200-foot wide border of pink fabric, and I got to work on that. (laughs) Best job ever. I got paid to sit around in a boat all day. Not sure it was a good influence long term, but I had a good time. (laughs) But on that job, I met some people who lived in the sailboat anchorage in Miami, and they just had fantastic stories. And I was a private prep school kid. My father was a doctor and my mother was a lawyer, and I was a disappointment. And then, <laughs> <laughs> so I... I uh, uh, when when I heard these stories and I realized that adventures weren't just something that happened in books and movies, I uh, went off the straight and narrow path, I got myself a little sailboat for about $3,000. By the time I graduated college, I was living aboard.
0: Wow. And
1: about six months later, I... Took off with thirty dollars in my pocket, and a locker full of food and dreams.
0: Oh my goodness! I love that. I love that, Dave. And I didn't know that part of your story because I knew you had you had you have this passion for sailing, and and you actually did it and lived it, which is such a a big deal, I think, for me. And and I I don't think that I know many people or anyone. You were the first person I met that actually lived that a sailboat, and you were living the dream. I mean, I'm sure. People asked you, that was just, you were doing it.
1: Well, actually I was afraid, but I was afraid of things that I think are are bigger than what other people are afraid of. I was afraid I was gonna get old and look back and regret all the things I hadn't done because I'd been afraid to do them or made excuses not to do them. And I thought, this is the time in my life. I can't think of any reason not to, and off I went.
0: I love it, I love it. And how long was that first leg of your adventure?
1: First trip was about six months, and then I came back to Miami and got a job in Washington, D.C. Don't ever do that. Don't go out into the wilderness and then dump yourself into the big city. It, it torques your, your brain. So I did that for six months, and then I went back to the Bahamas for about eight months, and then I jumped on a friend's sailboat. And this was a beautiful wooden boat that he had made himself, uh, this wow. German guy. This was, I mean, you think hand-billed wooden boat. I don't know about that. Now, this thing was a sailing cuckoo clock. It was wow. gorgeous. And uh, he invited me to sail across uh, to Europe with him. And I said, let me think about it. Yes, let's go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How long does that take, like on a sailboat, to get transatlantic?
1: It was 38 days total sailing time. So we did 26 days nonstop to the Azores. We spent about two months in the Azores, and there was a one day to cross, and then another 10, 11 days to get to Gibraltar. So it's 38 days total. Oh,
0: holy crap. That's major. No, no, obviously no seasickness or anything like that. But oh, plenty you, of that. Yeah? <laughs> did you encounter anything that was... Because I, I can see now hopping on a wooden ship, and you've got these amazing stories. So how how did that help you? Everything that you experienced there turn that into a business. I just think it's, it's fabulous because you've got to have a million stories, but how did you turn that into, how do you do that?
1: Well, it's part of, it's actually having that life experience. And then the other things that I like to do are all communications based. I'm a writer, I'm a speaker, I write code, I play music. And all of these things are just different dialects of, Storytelling. Now it took me 20 years to figure that out and <laughs> put it together. Uh, for, for a while, I was just that guy with the weird stories, but mm-hmm. uh, and for a while, I really didn't tell them. But we're all on a journey, every story has a journey in it. And my trip across the ocean is a, is a metaphor for somebody else's journey in starting a business or anything mm-hmm. that they set out to do, raising kids. And we all have to learn to trust our compass and we all have to navigate. So I started mining the metaphors in my story. Mm. Other people, and, and we, we both know speakers and we know people who are mountain climbers, mm-hmm. who use that as a big metaphor for people reaching the top and things right. like that. So
0: right.
1: it's, it's really not all that big a stretch. It's just to take your story and use it as a metaphor for your listener's story.
0: I love it. I love it. So, how do you do that from the stage, especially when you're speaking? I know you work with a lot of major corporations. When you're speaking to that uh, part of of our society, how do you how do you do that?
1: I think that, especially in a speaking context, but it could be a writing, could mm-hmm. be blogging, could be anything. People forget that the purpose of a speech or of any form of communication, really, when it comes right down to it, is to transform the listener, to transform the viewer, the reader, whatever it may be. And too many people begin by talking about themselves, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it's, it's, it's selling the features, not the benefits. If you begin by figuring out, I want to create a message that accomplishes XYZ outcome, for my mm-hmm. listener, and you work backward from that outcome, then that tends to drive the stories.
0: I love it. Sort of Stephen Covey, start with the end in mind sort of thing. Okay. But I love it. I, I just think that not a lot of people see it that way. And, you know, as, as when I work, and I work a lot in accountability, we always have to start with the finish line and then just reverse engineer everything. I just never, never looked at it that way with storytelling or speaking.
1: I think it's counterintuitive because a lot of people if if you ask them and and I'll bring up sales but I want to qualify that because some people think sales is a dirty word and they think about mm-hmm. used car salesmen and that kind of a cliche traditional sales. But we're all selling. Anyone who's tried to get a kid to calm down and go to bed is selling. <laughs> and anyone who wants to be listened to, if you're taking a test or writing a paper in school, you're selling your ideas and, mm-hmm. and trying to get that professor to evaluate them in a way that's, <clears throat> excuse me, satisfactory to you. So we're whether we're selling products or services, or ideas or credibility, we're all selling. Mm -hmm. And what happens to me, the golden rule of storytelling is that stories are always about people. And if we talk about prices, processes, ingredients, and data, we are not talking about people. If we're not talking about people, we're not telling stories. If we're not telling stories, we're not connecting. And if we're not connecting, we're not selling.
0: Wow I love and I love the connection piece because I think that a lot of times things become more transactional than relational and 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 then we miss that connection even even as speakers David, I know we've both seen that. People get so focused on the message or what they're trying to do or the technicality of how they're trying to do that that we forget about that connection that we need to have. And you can say just about anything. If you have a great connection with your with your audience, that message is going to be received very differently than if you're just out there either trying to make yourself look good or trying to get through it and just get off the stage.
1: I think a lot of people have been subjected to that ABC philosophy, that always be closing mm-hmm. philosophy. When are you going to go in and ask them to part with their money? And. I'm not saying that you shouldn't close, but if you build those relationships, the transaction happens as a byproduct of Mm -hmm. the relationship. And let's say, pick an ad agency or a financial firm. They're going to come in and they're going to pitch their services. And if they're top firms, if they're professional firms, the offerings are going to be pretty similar. Mm -hmm. They're going to get the result from whichever one they choose. The prices aren't going to vary that much. The outcome's going to be worth more than the price anyway. So it doesn't matter. And what's going to happen with that? They are going to pick the one, they're going to pick the team that they like the best. It's really about relationships.
0: And do you think that the team they like the best is going to be the team who can tell the best story?
1: I think so. I think it's going to be the team that tells the best story about the client. Mm. Because if you're up there talking about yourself, people are going to, turn off pretty quickly i could tell you see stories but after a while it's like okay that's entertaining but i've got netflix
0: right <laughs> <laughs> i love it so, so can you share an example just because i know you've worked with with many of these organizations in that very capacity the the and we'll talk about selling in a minute because i do want to get a little more into that just an example of a story where you've come in and and worked your magic with an organization
1: so Something something brief. I used to live in the anchorage, which means that I used to row out to my sailboat. I was about a half a mile out on the bay, which sounds very isolated, but we had the whole secret floating village out there. We had a wonderful little community. So I was sitting on my boat at the end of the day, one afternoon, and I looked in toward the channel and there was commotion somebody was splashing around and in their dinghy and I could it was my friend Bill he was rowing out to the boat but mm. I was trying to see what was going on and he'd row a few strokes and he'd stop and then I could see he was bailing out the dinghy and there were little arcs of water flashing in the sun and he'd row a little bit more and and bail a little bit more and he, he came out next to my boat. Finally, I said, Bill, what's the problem? He said, the dinghy's leaking. It wasn't this morning, but I'm sinking. Do you have a a bigger bucket? (laughs) And I mean, look, it wasn't a life-threatening situation. He would have ended up in the bay and, okay, come on, I'll drop a ladder over for you. And so I went down in, in my cabin and I came up, not with a big bucket, but with this little tiny jar. And he looked at me with this incredulous face. I said, this is lanolin. You're drain plug is probably leaking. Here's a rag, stick the rag in the plug hole, grease up that plug, put it back in, and probably the leak will stop. And of course, by this time, the water, you know, his butt's wet, the water's rising over the seat, the oars are starting to float in the dinghy, and he does this wonderful contortion act where he holds the the rag in the, the plug hole with his big toe, and he's, he's <laughs> greasing up the plug, and he finally gets it put back together and at this point i'm just laughing at him and and <laughs> he sees it and he starts to to laugh at himself and i invite him on board and get him a towel and you know we have a drink and we, we we watch the end of the day together but i think that what happens is sometimes we think we need a bigger bucket and what we really need to do is to plug the leak <laughs> sometimes we need I know we think we need another cup of coffee and what we really need is a little more sleep. Sometimes we think we need more clients and what we really need to do is raise our fees. Mm-hmm. So there's an example where I'm just taking a little slice of Anchorage life and turning it into a business lesson.
0: Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I see that totally. And I know that that's how you operate. How, how easy did it become to you let me see, I want to phrase this correctly. How easy did it become to you to see from a very different perspective all these things that, that you can't see when you're on the inside?
1: I just think it's a matter of becoming people-centric, service-centric. When you become interested in speaking, and look, we're, we're both members of national speakers association and toastmasters and we watch lots of speakers make lots of mistakes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's part of the, the path but the people who get up there and talk about themselves they talk about their their baggage and their their abuse and their drugs and how they the if i can do it you can do it stories and hey that doesn't work there's someone in the room who might be a bigger loser than you are and <laughs> and you're not going to inspire that person, you're going to intimidate them. Or if you take them into the dark place, and you don't bring them back into the light, and you're doing a great service for local therapists with with your audience. (laughs) Uh, I mean, there's any number of of storytelling mistakes that people make as they they grow into that journey. And if you focus on what's in it for the audience, what's in it for my listener, because if I get up there and I just talk about myself, narcissism is the only disease in the world where the sicker you are, the better you feel. <laughs> <laughs> so what can you do to take your stories and put them in the service of your your audience? Mm. And then I know some people are probably thinking, well, gee, do I have to sail across the ocean? Do I have to sleep in a <laughs> volcano? Do I have to run a marathon? And No, I think anybody who's had pets or raised kids. Uh, We all have stories. Size doesn't matter. It's just a question of whether you take those stories and get creative about putting them to work for other people because we're all on a journey. Yeah,
0: yeah. And and Dave, tell me how a story works.
1: So it may surprise you to learn that I use a nautical model for storytelling.
0: Surprise, surprise. I love it.
1: That's what story sailing is all about. And we did the golden rule that stories are always about people. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine that this main character, this person is out on a sailboat on the rocky, stormy seas of conflict. There's something that they are grappling with. Usually they went out sailing on a nice day and the weather picked up and all of a sudden circumstances have changed. And what they really want is to get to that safe port of transformation. So they have a journey to make. Think of that as sort of the the horizontal axis from left to right, if you will. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And what happens, for example, in marketing, when we see advertisements that show people with yellow teeth and fingers or black lungs, they don't convince anybody to stop smoking because they're all about the conflict. Whereas if we look at... Somebody who's a little older spending time with their grandchildren or somebody finishing a marathon, that's the transformation. That's what people are buying. Mm-hmm. And why does most marketing fail? It's the same thing. Selling the, the features, not the benefits. It, making it about the reader, the listener, the viewer, instead of about our product has six active ingredients and uh, nobody cares. cares? Nobody yeah. cares. There's too much Data out Mm -hmm. there, the the data dump presentation Mm -hmm. or ad or whatever it may be. Now, there's two other things to consider. One is for that sailboat to make it from the stormy seas of conflict to the safe port of transformation, the water has to be deep enough. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, and, and anyone who's ever run aground on a sailboat knows that you hit the ground, hit the bottom, and then the tide goes out. And the boat slowly leans over and you have to wait for the tide to come back up. It's a nice 12 hour round trip between running Mm -hmm. aground on, you know, sleep on the wall, bounce around. And those are other stories. So how do you, what do I mean by deep? And we talk about deep questions and we talk about deep people. It's interesting that we use the word deep, profound Mm -hmm. to refer Mm -hmm. to people in situations. So a lot of people are not getting to the authentic conflict Mm. and that usually has something to do with survival. It's sex, it's status in the tribe, it's safety for you and your children, it's food, Mm. it's shelter, it's love, it's deep, authentic survival of the species kinds of needs. So if I offer you an opportunity to make a lot of money, you're going to say, that's great, but money is paper you can't eat it i mean no. on, on a certain level a hundred dollar bill is got the same value of paper in it as a one dollar bill right mm-hmm. it's it's what you can do with the money so what do you need that money for if you if you well look you've got kids right mm-hmm. and at some point your kid questions you and you t- ask them to do something and they say why And you explain patiently and they say, why, 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 why? And finally you say, because I said so. And it's like, oh my God, I just became that parent. I swore I'd never be. But if you keep asking why, 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 you ultimately get to that. What is it that you want to achieve with the money? What is it that's meaningful to you? Mm -hmm. And I find that a lot of the marketing and messaging we see, it doesn't really resonate with people because it doesn't go deep enough.
0: Right. Right, and I think what happens is, David, you you touched on it a little bit. Everybody gets gets in in closing mode, okay, without really focusing on what the need is. And I I read a great uh, book once by um, I forgot his name now, and I'll I'll have to remember that because I I love recommending it, but it's um it's about th- just that transaction with the close, and and somebody will come and say you know, how do I know you're the right coach for me? And then they go off and they start listing all their features and all everything that they do and their processes and everything. That doesn't mean crap to right. the person sitting on the other side.
1: And the answer is, we don't. Let's have a conversation <laughs> and see if it's a good fit. Otherwise, yeah. I'll try to refer you to
0: somebody. Exactly.
1: It's not about closing, because the worst thing you can do is end up with the wrong clients right. or clients who aren't coachable because they're not right. open to ideas. Then... They're spending money, and you're not delivering results, mm-hmm. and that just ripples through your business, right?
0: Right, and and word of mouth and referrals and and everything else. Exactly, where, where where what they should be asking is just what you're saying. I know you you come from a place of service and generosity always. Anyway, um, it's sort of like, well, I don't know if I'm the right coach. Tell mm-hmm. me what you need, and and usually you'll be able to tell. And we just had an issue. What. Week and a half ago, it wasn't an issue. It was a great uh, coaching client, potential coaching client, but I knew that you were going to be much better in service of him than than I could possibly be. So, so, and and that's just really what it's about. It's listening to what the need is from the client and seeing how you can fill that gap. It might not be you, but yeah. you fill the gap.
1: I call it lead by listening.
0: Mm, I love it.
1: And. It actually takes us around to that final fourth element of storytelling. What else does a sailboat need to move?
0: Wind. Wind.
1: (laughs) Now, wind is interesting because it's powerful. We live in South Florida. We've been through hurricanes. Mm -hmm. And wind can be extremely powerful and even dangerous, but it's invisible. And it's kind of like gravity. It's this magic power. You know it's there, but -hmm. you can't see it you have to kind of trust that it's there and that mm-hmm. it's not going to shut off tomorrow or blow your house down the day after. Right. But I think everybody's got different magic. And as a coach, as a speaker, I don't care, as a barber, as a plumber, as a dentist, people go by their titles and they introduce them themselves by their job titles. Mm-hmm. But they don't think about what is their special skill? What is their special passion? It could be their their experience, it could be their ideas, it could be their team or their equipment, Mm -hmm. any number of things that differentiate one person from another. And encouraging people to find that magic, that's the real product that they're selling. Because you can go to any dentist and get a tooth filled, Mm -hmm. and chances are it's gonna be relatively painless within a certain range of reality, Mm -hmm. and the job's gonna be within a certain range of quality. So what's the difference? It comes down to that dentist's particular magic. Right. Maybe an area of specialization. Maybe just he's a little more painless than the next person. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Everybody's got to find their magic. And when you hide behind that job title,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you tend to... You're competing with a whole bunch of other people who are also named Dave or Bertha. Right. And what's the... So what? So what? That's the so what
0: factor.
1: Yeah. And what I love this model because, you know, coaching people, coaching speakers, there are other speakers. My friend, Neil Peterson, I met him in the Azores. He was the first black sailor to race alone around the world. He's Mm -hmm. done a lot more sailing than me and dealt with much more adverse circumstances. But his stories work. My stories work. Mm -hmm. And it's not. It's not that we're both sailing speakers and we have to go to a meeting planner and convince right. <laughs> which one of us has the biggest story. Right. It's just which one of us is going to produce the best outcome for that audience. For that audience,
0: exactly. And I think that's the focus. And I love that you, that you said that, Dave, because I think one of, the, one of the interesting things, and when I do workshops and, and I'll come in and I'll just be on the stage and I'll say, you know, who are you? And people automatically hear, how are you? And they'll be like, great. And I'm like, I'm glad you said that because maybe your subconscious heard me ask, who are you? And the fact that you already know that you're great, we're way ahead of the ballgame. And then I asked them to write a definition of themselves. At some point, different workshops call for different things and they can't use what they do for a living in their definition. And let me tell you, people get stuck because automatically they go straight to the pen and the paper and they start to write. And when I tell them that, they sort of are taken aback because they, you know, how do I identify without saying what I do for a living? And then they come up with these beautiful definitions of themselves that just, you know, and a lot of times I'll pick people randomly and they'll get up and and read it aloud, usually tearfully, because we're not what we do. We're human beings, not human doings.
1: I think there's just this tendency, people, I mean, there, there's, the baby pops out and someone says, is it a boy or a girl? Yeah. Who cares? What's it going to do? Is going to be a doctor or a lawyer? It's this kind of expectations and people get buried under this and a lot of other stuff. And at at some point, if they're lucky, they get involved with uh, some mentors and programs and mm-hmm. things and they, they learn, they get to rediscover their
0: big. Yeah. I love it. I love that. Rediscover their big. So Dave, you talked a little bit about the importance of sharing story but to the customer or to the the end user, or to that audience which left me a little bit confused. What do you how do you share your stories but make it about somebody else? I don't well, know if that's what you were trying to say.
1: Well, for example, when I told the red bucket story, mm-hmm. I at the end of it, I I mean, it's basically a business fable. So I told my story, and I took you into that story. I wanted you to kind of see the water splashing in the sun. I wanted to take the listener out of their chair and into my space. Mm -hmm. Now, before I get to the ending, something interesting is happening here because we're all hunter-gatherers. In evolutionary terms, we stepped out of the wilderness 20,000 years ago, which is nothing. Right. And... Our nature is to scan for threats and opportunities. Mm -hmm. That's what we're doing. Stand on a street corner and look up, someone's gonna stand beside you and start looking up. Either something's falling on me and it's about to kill me or it's about to make me rich, but there's a threat or an opportunity pretty much, doesn't take long before there's half a dozen people standing, staring at the sky. But so we have this, this nature. Now, if I tell you a story and you're in a safe place, like a movie theater, then you pay attention. And what that means is you've stopped scanning in the real world and you've started scanning for threats and opportunities within my story. Mm. I've hijacked your amygdala. I've hijacked your your brain. (laughs) And it's fascinating because you can go to a movie theater and forget that there are strangers sitting next to you crinkling candy wrappers and and munching popcorn and slurping their drinks and disciplining their kids (laughs) because you're watching whatever is on the screen and you're in that story. And if that's my story, I'm the guide. I'm the one you're depending on to navigate in that landscape. So there's a position of of connection and influence. So I take you there and I take you into this world, but then I drop this, sometimes we think we need a bigger bucket and we need to plug the leak. Sometimes we think, we need to charge, uh, we need more clients. And what we need to do is raise our fees. Mm -hmm. And I bring it back where, oh, okay. They weren't even aware that I was talking about their journey.
0: Right, right.
1: Because what happens if you tell somebody, uh, relationships are the best, your friend comes to you and says, oh, I'm having a terrible problem with my partner. And their friend says, well, dump them move on. Right Now they're never going to do it because the idea came from the outside. Uh, right And coaching works by leading people to discover their own truth. Mm-hmm. When you make the decision to take action and you make it on your own, you can't say, well, I don't want to do that because that's what Joe says I should do. Mm-hmm. No, that came from inside. You're stuck mm-hmm. with it. Right. Now you have to summon up the, the moxie to do it. And mm-hmm. that's a different struggle. And I think that it's one of the reasons I like coaching over consulting. A coach asks wise questions, a consultant brings smart answers. Mm. But the story is a perfect mechanism for doing it because you can take people out of that space where they're defensive, out of that real world of nuts and bolts and daily situations and into a different place. And then they're thinking without all of that baggage.
0: I love that and 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 i think that's such an important part even of leadership and we, we there's a lot of talk about leadership and influence now um and i'm thinking of it from the corporate perspective okay or or leadership in general but let's say from the corporate perspective because i know that's a big part of your of your clientele are these major corporations but i'm curious to know how does the leader embrace their ability to tell the story so that they can engage, as you said, uh, when you're in the movie theater watching that movie, and really bring that team and have them embrace the vision so that everyone can grow and, and move forward.
1: I'll give you two ways. First of all, I'm astonished at the number of people in major leadership positions who don't have well, who don't have any coach at all, mm-hmm. and they're very lonely at the top of that pyramid trying to pretend that they don't have imposter syndrome, trying to look mm-hmm. confident for everybody because they feel that's what they have to be. Mm-hmm. And the smart ones have at the above the top of the pyramid, there's this little cloud of angels who help them out who mm-hmm. maybe no one underneath understands. So I think that the idea that leaders get some communication coaching, that they learn how to speak, that they learn how to engage the employees. Now, think about a big corporate merger. Think about something like U.S. Air merging with American Airlines. Mm -hmm. Now, this all happens on the stock exchange, right? It's not like one day you walk in and say, guess what? You all work for American now. They know it's coming. Mm -hmm. And the employees are scared. And the stockholders are scared. And the speech... The speeches that are given by both of those CEOs collectively could be worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. And they do them without coaching and they put a bunch of Excel spreadsheets up on PowerPoint slides. And how do you measure the cost of that? So, getting the presentation coaching and the storytelling coaching to me is just leadership 101.
0: Mm-hmm. Get the
1: support you need. Then, the other level is harmonizing the narrative throughout the organization. Because usually the C-suite's telling one story, and the sales staff is telling another story, and the support people are telling another story, and the accounting department are telling a different story, and the customers are telling a different (laughs) story. And you go to different people in the company, you ask them what they do, what the company does, you get very different answers. That's amazing. And when you use that story and you harmonize the work culture, now you're hiring people because they've got a place in the narrative, Instead of sign your insurance papers, here's your cubicle, meet your boss, Mm -hmm. it's this is the value that you're going to be providing either for the customers or for your colleagues. You have a very important role to play in the story. Now what happens when somebody comes and offers them an extra couple of grand a year? They're not leaving. They have a meaningful Mm -hmm. work life. They're Mm -hmm. not just another gear in the machine. Mm -hmm. And we see too much of this, people just jumping from job to job with these little pay increases mm-hmm. because they need them, mm-hmm. but there's no job satisfaction. There's no loyalty. Mm-hmm. And what do they say? Culture eats strategy for yeah, lunch.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and the truth is that so many corporations out there are <sighs> facing retention issues, even the best of them. And how expensive does it get when when a company's a revolving door? You don't want to do that.
1: Some of these tech companies, it costs yes. 15 grand to onboard a new employee to train mm-hmm. them and get them in. And you want them to stick around. So mm-hmm. what, what's the value in a case like that of building a culture around a compelling story where people want to stay?
0: And how do you do that, Dave? How do you go in there and, and, and let them know the, not only the importance of that, but how you can help bring that story to life? on all levels culturally throughout the whole organization.
1: Well there are different ways to do it on one way, one way to do it is to to get in and talk with the leader, ideally the CEO, but whoever really is the voice of the company, the mm-hmm. the spiritual leader of the company or someone who at least should be that. And listen to them and sit down with them and help them reframe the narrative in terms of Offerings and start instead of well, we have four divisions, and they do this mm-hmm. and that, and everyone's asleep already. Right? <laughs> how do how do you make this all about the people? How do you make the culture inside the company uh, something that becomes a builder of culture outside the company? So it starts with a lot of listening and conversations. And how do we rephrase this? How do we reframe that? And then the other thing is, on an organizational level, uh, sometimes it's just a matter of of doing workshops. A lot of companies have very presentation-rich cultures, Mm -hmm. but they don't have any real training. Yeah, they know how to use PowerPoint, big deal, Right. but they don't have the speaking skills, they don't have the engagement skills, and it means that People are spending a lot of time in meetings, boring each other to death, which is bad for morale. Mm-hmm. And a lot of really great, really innovative ideas are not getting sold to management because you've got engineers and people spelling out all the active ingredients and chemical reactions and things. And they're not going so far as to say, here's, here's what this yes. is going to yes. do for your clients. Yeah. Or here's how you're going to build a whole new base of clients. Mm-hmm. What is the value that you're giving? And what we do is essentially we change the conversation from price to value on mm. whatever level. I
0: love it. I love it. And I know that for for organizations and people that I've worked with throughout the years, if you can change that mentality from a from a numbers bottom line to an impact bottom line and an added value and a service, I mean, you become competition proof. Uh, and that's one of my talks is comp- becoming competition proof. But the way that we do it, we have to be focused on the results, like you said. So Dave, walk me through a sales story, because I know a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs themselves or or work for a major corporation or and are on the, on the sales side of things. Mm-hmm. What's a good sales story? How does that well, let's
1: say that I'm trying to sell you my widgets and there are other people who make widgets too, as we know, a widget just being whatever, (laughs) some made up (laughs) strand of flance, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to sell widgets. And if I see my job as having to go out there and get people to buy the widgets, then, okay, so what? Me and I'm in competition with other people. Now, what typically happens is someone will say, look, our widgets are cheaper or our widgets are made in the United States by Americans or what, what is the pitch, what is, what is the appeal? And ultimately the, the widget has to be of value to somebody. First of all, they have to need it. How mm-hmm. many times do people get in touch with us and they say, you need this? I say, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> if I needed it, I would have looked for it. Right. So first of all, establish that need and then find out, okay, what does that customer need? And then add value to that need. And what I mean is sometimes, well, it's the bigger bucket story mm-hmm. in a way. Somebody thinks yeah. they need a bigger bucket. Well, what's that worth to you? And I, I, I'm, let me think of a better example a less metaphorical example: Somebody's got some. Somebody's got a um, a piece of software that they need written that is going to help them uh, increase productivity. Right? It's gonna it's gonna save them a certain amount of time. And that's great. So they go to the software developer and the software developer thinks, well, there's a certain number of hours it's gonna take me to make this piece of software. But the salesperson is gonna say, well, tell me tell me what happens if you, what what's it costing you without this um, extra level of efficiency? And the person thinks about, it's probably costing the 10 people in my accounting department two hours a day. So you're talking about 10 people times 2, it's 20 hours a day, times a week, times a year. All of a sudden, the value of this and, okay, now let's continue. So let's say we could save that 20 hours a day. What could you do? What's not getting done right now because of this inefficiency? Where could you grow? Where could you expand? Where could you cut? And all of a sudden, you're taking the savings and you're building it All of a sudden this little technical hurdle that they had is extremely important Mm -hmm. and extremely valuable and what we did is we didn't try to sell them more features we tried to really look at what the size of the problem and the impact of the problem was and more importantly what's the transformation if you solve this problem what are you going to be able to do? Can you take these people and assign them over here now mm-hmm. and get this thing done that wasn't even on the table? Yeah. You might build a whole new division on mm-hmm. your business with that 20 hours a week that you save. It could be worth millions of dollars. Crazy. And you focus on the real problems, the impact of the problems, mm-hmm. and the outcome
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. of the and, solution.
0: Yeah, and, that, and that's really what it, what it comes down to. It's the solution and really being able to bring that, Outside perspective, we're seeing things differently when we're on the outside, and I learned this from from Bob Berg, who we're going to see this mm-hmm. weekend. Um, he talks about sales, and you know, people get all, and I'm guilty of it. I always say I'm the worst salesperson in the world. I can't sell, you know, a Coca Cola to someone who's been stranded in a desert forever, and and the truth is that that sales comes from the Latin word "salin," which is to give, and we're just giving a solution. They can look at it as a a sale, but it really comes down to the solution and the results. And I think the
1: speaking business is probably the example I should have used because Mm -hmm. we go to these chamber of commerce breakfasts and things and they bring in some expert or someone who took a company public Mm -hmm. and they don't have any training as a presenter. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, everybody's falling asleep in their scrambled eggs and Mm -hmm. trying to get a second mimosa. (laughs) But okay, so-and-so has status and they bring them in and I guess it makes the organization look good. Mm -hmm. So why do speakers, why do top speakers make 10 and 20 and and more Mm -hmm. uh, just for getting up on stage and talking for 45 minutes? Mm -hmm. Because let's face it, we've been doing that right now and we're not getting paid anything for it. So what is the value of it? And I think if that speaker can get in a room and increase that productivity by Mm -hmm. 10%, Or if they can get in a room and make people feel better about going to work and punching the clock on Monday morning, any number of things, if they can save five tech employees from leaving that year and help the company build a better culture, the solution that they're selling far outweighs the fee.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love it. And and, and you shared a story once about a, a big project that you did and they were paying you really good money but the results they were getting because of your work was a thousand times more. So it was worth it to them and it was worth it to you because it was a great contract. But that's the thing is for people to be able to focus not on what they're spending, but on what the result is bringing them. And I think a lot of times we might run into that as coaches or as speakers. People are, and and I, I don't work like that. I know you don't operate like that, you know, I don't care what it costs. I'm I'm more looking at what I'm gonna get as a result of that.
1: You know, graphic designers, I, I taught graphic design and web design at the Art Institute for mm-hmm. many years. And of course, students go to school, they rack up an enormous debt yeah. and they want to know are they gonna survive in the world? And they're doing these little club flyers for a hundred dollars and mm-hmm. trying to stretch their wings and build their skills, which when you're starting out at anything is is fine. Right. But there's always this, how do I price my services? Mm-hmm. How do I do this? And the conversation, I, I did a role play with a student. And so she said, how much is a website? I said, a half a million dollars. And, and she rolled her eyes and said, well, I'm running away. I said, well, what if I told you that my last five clients doubled their investment in the past five years? She said, I'm gonna go borrow the money. It's yeah. so, like, exactly. So it's not about what it costs. It really isn't. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares what the price is. Mm-hmm. If you're going to make more money than you spend, then it's a good deal at any cost. Right. And right. we get hung up on the price because people pay designers 20, 25 bucks an hour, 15 mm-hmm. bucks an hour. And, and they can't break out of that. And they think they're competing with Fiverr. and 90, No, you're not. Yeah, You're yeah. not. Yeah. And if you're not offering more value than than you're charging, you're either mm-hmm. working for the wrong clients or you're not good at what you do.
0: Right, right. And I think it all comes down to that added value and what we can do. And David, so funny that you used that story because you just just talked about the difference between selling the features and the process rather than selling the results. Mm -hmm. Of course, if they're looking at the features, this might not be that great deal. And I think it was Jim Brock, I don't remember who it was at one of the FSA um, things, and he'd heard it from someone else and was just repeating, I don't remember who the original quote is from. Uh, even broke people make bail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how bad do you need this result? And that's going to determine how much you're willing to pay for it. But when we, as coaches, as speakers, as anyone, fill in the blank, plumbers, whatever, focus on the features in the process instead of focusing on the results, then it's going to be a hard sell. But it, And that's why I love that what you're bringing to the table is a way to say the story properly, wrapped up in a way that that the, the end user will realize what that result is going to mean for them.
1: It's all about the transformation, isn't That's it? That's it.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. Dave, what's the craziest thing that happened to you when you were out there sailing across the world?
1: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> the craziest thing that happened to me is, I think we were a few days past Bermuda and it was rainy weather. It wasn't. It was kind of sloppy, but not very windy. And then there was this one moment where the wind picked up, and it picked up some more, and the seas picked up. And I've never seen anything quite like this. There was this cloud, and I would almost want to describe it as a tornado, but it came down from this black cloud and looped back up into the cloud. It wasn't a funnel cloud. And it didn't actually hit us, but... I mean, I'm guessing the wind probably got up 50, 60, 70 miles an hour for a few minutes. And we got all the sails down in time except one, and that sail flogged itself to shreds in about five seconds. It was a heavy jib. And then we sailed, I mean, this all was a few minutes. It was this little microburst. And we sailed for just that five or 10 minutes, cruising along, blasting along, with using just the hull of the boat as a sail. And that was one of the most intense weather systems I think I've ever, it, aside from being in hurricanes and things, which mm-hmm. I've never been on a boat for mm-hmm. and plan not to, that weather <laughs> system was just freaky. It was just like nothing else I've ever wow. heard of.
0: Wow. Not scary enough to, to make you stop sailing altogether, because I know you're working on your sailboat again. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a little bit about that, because I'm excited. For well,
1: actually, I'm working on my 15-footer. <laughs> it's nice. a little little open wooden boat, and I'm just putting some varnish on again, because it's been a couple of years, and it's good. time to make it pretty again. And um, I'll get a big boat again at some point in my life. But right now, I'm here in Miami mm-hmm. and uh, working on the business. I'm working with great people and great companies. I'm speaking. I'm having a good time. I mm-hmm. like being in South Florida. And... Uh, Having a, having a little boat on a trailer is just perfect for Good. me right now. I love
0: it. How often do you get out?
1: Not on not often enough. Not often
0: enough. Okay. Okay. So, Dave, what would you say is the greatest piece of advice you've ever gotten?
1: The greatest piece of advice I've ever gotten is skip the talk and leave the dock. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you use that well. You That came in very handy to you. I love it. So what's what's on your vision board for 2020?
1: More speaking, more coaching clients, more workshops. And I've already uh, done a few this year that have gotten great reviews. I'm really yeah. happy about it because we're always finessing and polishing mm-hmm. and refining mm-hmm. our, our offerings to make sure we connect with people. So I'm feeling I've got a good start to the year. I'm about 25,000 words into that other public speaking book (laughs) (laughs) because there are so many of them out there. And this one is not so much a storytelling book, but it'll talk about the art of speaking, uh, not so much from what to do, though that's in there, but why people pay attention, Mm. a little bit more of that brain science and Mm -hmm. what works, what doesn't. There's a little bit of speaking business. There's a lot of stagecraft how to go from the page to the stage, mm. things like that, just... Uh, I
0: love it. All under your umbrella, but all really great uh, resources for people who want to get into that world. Dave, how do we find your books there on Amazon?
1: My books are all on Amazon. You can look mm-hmm. up Dave Bricker, and uh, I'm there. All of them are there. And I also have the blog
0: mm-hmm. at storiesailing.com,
1: yeah. and... I talk about a little bit about public speaking tips, a little bit about storytelling, and I blog every two weeks. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm just about. Next week will be blog post number 50. Nice. So I've got yeah. a ton of good material in there, and yeah. uh, it's it's all non-commercial stuff. It's all here's something you can use. Mm-hmm. It's all done in the spirit of of building those relationships.
0: I love it. And and it's really good stuff, guys. If you can get in there and, and follow it, storiesailing.com, sailing, you said?
1: Yeah, StorySailing S-A-I-L-I-N-G, S-A-I-L-I-N-G storiesailing.com.
0: Okay, perfect. I love it. Dave, before we go, I want to thank you for being here because you're amazing. And you know I'm a huge fan and a huge, um, let's see what Dave is doing next because I know there's always something exciting. But if I looked you up in the dictionary, what would it say? <laughs> Come on, you knew I was going to go
1: there. <laughs> uh, I think it would be the dictionary. Yeah, <laughs> be the whole thing. I mm-hmm. don't know. I'm. It's. It's uh, a blessing and a curse. I'm interested in so many different things, and I love learning. And uh, the reason I'm unemployable in a traditional sense, mm-hmm. I think, is that if you put me in one place doing one job, I'm going to go nuts. So <laughs> I need to be doing a little of everything. So writing. It's fun, but that gets boring. I need to go play some music. I need to design something. I need to write some code. I need to, uh, whatever it may be. I need. I need to move around and use different parts of my brain. So maybe, maybe the word in the dictionary uh, is polymath.
0: Oh, I like that.
1: And I'll let like your that. listeners look that one yeah. up.
0: Look it up. Look it up. We're all going to look it up. Dave, I'm so blessed by you. And, and so grateful that, that you came out to play. And um, any parting words for our listeners?
1: Just grow every day. Expand yourself every day. Write something every day. Build something every day. Create something new every single day. Get up early before everybody else does and get on it. Skip the talk and leave the talk.
0: Amen. Okay, guys. Dave Bricker, look him up. What what are your handles on social media? Um,
1: if you look up Dave Bricker, I am all over Google. So if you start with storysailing.com, dot com, then uh, that that's really the where everything comes from. Mm-hmm. And I've got a Facebook page and all that stuff, but it, it's mostly content that comes from the blog. Awesome. So I'm a one stop shop, really.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Thank you, Dave, again. Okay, folks, you heard it here. Look up Dave. I promise you will be extremely happy that you did. And for now, be good, do great, and go play outside. It is beautiful today.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on board. I really uh, am grateful to have been part of your story today.
0: Thank you for being here, Dave.
1: Yay!